if I won World's Strongest Man four or five times and I didn't do something with that, I didn't do something with that platform, I, I wouldn't be happy with myself. Welcome to the Barbend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by Barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to Canadian strongman phenom Mitchell Hooper. After just a few short years of elite strongman competition, Hooper burst into the conversation by qualifying for the World's Strongest Man final in his first year at that competition, a meteoric rise in the sport. Now, he has his sights set on more, including world record deadlifts. I'm not kidding. Mitchell joins the podcast to talk about his broader professional and wellness goals, and he also explains how he made the progression from marathon runner to World's Strongest Man contender in under five years. It's kind of insane. But before we get into that, I want to give a quick shout out to today's episode sponsor, Athletic Greens. I first tried Athletic Greens back in 2012. It was already a massively popular daily supplement, and since then, they've undergone dozens of formulation tweaks, each an improvement on the last. It tastes delicious, and I'm a little biased there because I love the subtle notes of pineapple and vanilla. It's the rare all-in-one green supplement that's NSF certified, a must for competitive athletes. Interested in trying it? Visit athleticgreens.com forward slash barbent to get a free gift with your purchase. Now, let's get on to the show. Mitchell, I'm really excited to chat today. We are not even, as of recording this, we're not even two weeks out from World's Strongest Man 2022. And my first question for you is, have you, have you rested up? Have you caught up on sleep yet? How are you feeling about two weeks out? Well, I got back from Worlds Monday at midnight, week ago, Monday at midnight. And my first client on Tuesday morning was at 9 a.m. And it's sort of been a race since then. So to, to answer your question, no, I'm not caught up on sleep, but I'm, I'm fairly fulfilled in not being caught up on sleep. So it's not, not the biggest deal. System's recovering okay. I rolled my ankle. That was sort of the injury I came away with. And that's probably back to 90% or so. But the six days certainly takes a toll on your body. Yeah, it's it's a lot over the course of the qualifying rounds, and then obviously the, the final. And congratulations! Spoiler alert, alert for those who don't know: you qualified <laughs> for the final in really fantastic fashion. But I, I want to dig into something you said there because not only are you a professional strongman, you're one of the best in the world. You're active in another aspect of the fitness community. Tell us about the day job. Yeah, so I to give some backstory, I graduated my bachelor's of human kinetics in Canada 2016. I worked with a professional basketball team uh, in a national league in Canada, thought that strength and conditioning was the best thing that ever existed, did it for a year and realized that it certainly wasn't the best thing that existed for me. And I looked at something more meaningful and that took me to Australia. I did my master's in exercise physiology, which is exercising people to treat or prevent chronic condition and injury with the, the intent of learning that and then bringing it back. And uh, I moved back in December this year, three weeks before World's Strongest Man, the dream came to fruition and, and I'm sitting in my clinic right now. So wait, this you started at the clinic three weeks before World's Strongest Man? Yeah, it's a bit of a punish schedule wise, but yeah, I did. Oh my goodness. Talk about life change after life change. You've been, uh, you've been the ultimate uh, busy bee. Jeez, Louise. Okay, let's, let's rewind. This is your first year at World's Strongest Man, correct? Yes. 
and you qualified for the final in your first year. One thing that I think it took a lot of spectators a little while to wrap their heads around was how new, relatively new, you are to the sport of strongman. How did you get into the sport? When I moved to Australia, uh, the last thing I had done was run marathons, and I'd always liked lifting heavy. So I sought out a gym that was in an industrial park because I just enjoyed that setting. Then the people there did powerlifting. From powerlifting, I sort of naturally progressed into strongman. Some people there also did strongman. Then my first comp, I qualified for the Amateur Arnolds. That was canceled. My second comp, I qualified for New South Wales state titles. I won that state title. I won the ACT state title, which is the neighboring state in Australia. Then I set the Static Monsters world record. I won one other local comp. And that was the extent of my experience before being invited to World's Strongest Man. That is a meteoric rise and maybe the definition of it. <laughs> but I'm curious, how many years was it between you go from running marathons to competing at World's Strongest Man? Because that's an athletic progression I haven't heard before. <laughs> so I ran the Toronto Marathon. That was the last one that I did. Uh, I did that maybe six months before I moved to Australia. So without being on record, it would have been about four and a half years. Four and a half years from marathon runner to world's strongest man finalist. That's that's a new one for me. I've interviewed a lot of people on this <laughs> podcast, and I'm I'm a little flabbergasted. But uh, did you have a strength background before strongman? Not really. I have a strength frame, and I ha- I've had always had a strength interest. So even when I ran marathons, I had a uh, proclivity to go try to bench press my one RM, and it was mm. pathetic. But you know, before running marathons, I did a little bit of bodybuilding. Before that, I played American football. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, an interspersed between competitive golf and, and hockey before that. So I've kind of made my way around everything. Are you still doing much running today? Uh, no. I ran <laughs> to get here to this interview, and that's about it. <laughs> now, the thing is, though, stuff like that, the conditioning for strongmen is so specific. And you need to be fit for 60 to 75 seconds. And I don't think people understand how fit you have to be to clean and press a log for 75 seconds. It takes a lot out of you. But I think that fitness background still benefits me to this day. And I thought that going into World's Strongest Man, I focused so much on my static lifts that my conditioning probably wasn't where I wanted it to be. And I think I turned out to be the most conditioned person there. So, you know, I think there's a lot to be. A lot to be learned from that. Did you have any specific expectations going into World's Strongest Man this year? Expectation is the wrong word. Uh, prediction. I, I put out a prediction video and I was pretty much bang on. So <laughs> I, I thought that I was probably capable of winning most groups that I'd be in and it, it shook out. And I don't think this is a fair comparison to a lot of the top guys because people have different intention in the heats if they have a heat that they could easily win. But after the heats, I would have been in second overall if you pulled everyone, second to Alexei Novikov. So I had a pretty good idea that those events would line up well for me. After my group got announced, my confidence in that went down a touch. And then I knew that the first day of the finals could go really well, and I knew that the second day of the finals would be tougher. So I I predicted that if if the competition was ran a thousand times over, I would have finished somewhere between third and sixth. And, you know, I think I underperformed in the final slightly, and and that prediction is probably pretty accurate. And it it takes a lot of pressure off you to say, I know exactly what I'm capable of and what I'm not capable of. And in no way, I I thought I could definitely come third, but in no way did I think I could come first. You know, I I had no expectation of that. 
So I think that's sort of the fine line you walk between uh, confidence and arrogance. You sort of have to recognize I can do this and I cannot do this. And there's other people who are 100% better than me. That is, I think, one of the biggest mental challenges for professional athletes that a lot of people underestimate is the fact that you want to be a realist. You have to be realistic and confident at the same time, and everyone kind of balances that differently. Out of the qualifying events at this year's World's Strongest Man, did any stick out to you as as a favorite? Something you were really excited to, you know, tackle, and something where you performed up to your expectations or beyond, maybe. Well, really, every, I did everything I had to do. I, I won the loading medley, I won the deadlift ladder, and I won the car walk. And that put me in position to just keep pace in the log press and do virtually nothing on the wrecking ball hold. So it's sort of, the answer is more because of how things lined up. Mm-hmm. And I think forever having this video where I'm side by side doing a deadlift ladder beside Brian Shaw, uh, I beat him. But that's what's more important to me is this is a legend of the sport. And here's me, and I, I got to go head head to head with something like someone like that, which is to me a lifelong memory. Well, in ten years, Brian Shaw might look back and say, "Hey, remember that time I got to go head to head with Mitchell Hooper?" <laughs> something tells me he won't. So, <laughs> look, look, you, you you never know. Well, this was your first time. Was this your first time? This is probably your first time. Definitely competing against a lot of the folks at World's Strongest Man. Probably your first time meeting many of these these fellas. I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Of the people competing at World's Strongest Man, I literally had not met one of them before and I coached one of them. So that was sort of a funny thing. I was meeting one of my athletes as well. Oh, who was that? Coco. Oh, okay. The Australian, well, French representative. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is there anyone uh, that you were especially excited to meet for the first time? No, no. The reason being mm-hmm. is there's a completely different persona that you can put out Mm. online and a completely different persona that you can be in person. And I'm trying to be as authentic as possible. And I think from the feedback of people very close to me, I'm pretty much the same person when you meet me as, as what I say in interviews is what I say online, but there is a certain element of that that's easy to protect because Regardless of what you say, you know, I think I've been pretty down the line. I think I've, I haven't said anything crazy, but there's sometimes you can say, I like dogs and someone will say, F you, cats are better. You're an idiot. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so it's much easier just to say, look, you know, <laughs> you know, hide that real personality. So it's hard to say, I was really excited to meet Martins Lisas because he looks like a lot of fun, but you know, he, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Uh, I don't have a lot of reverence for celebrities. I think it was very cool to meet Brian Shaw. I think it was very cool to meet Mark Felix. Uh, But I I don't like to put people on pedestals, and I don't want to be on a pedestal either. I just want to be a dude when when you meet people. So I have heaps of favorites, heaps of people I love from World's Strongest Man now that I've been there, uh, but I didn't really have that feeling beforehand. Well, this could be a saying, podiums, not pedestals. That could be be the Mitchell Hooper saying. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I like that. Let's talk about your prep for World's Strongest Man. Were there any particular weaknesses that you were tackling in the couple of months leading up to the competition? Weaknesses being relative because you had a pretty fantastic uh, performance, obviously, in your first year. So I give that heavy air quotes. Well, everyone has weaknesses. Everyone has holes, of course. When you look at the events, I had concerns. And the concerns came to fruition where... 
The truck pull was something new for me. The power stairs was something new for me. The car deadlift was something new for me. And I hadn't done any of those before. And I wasn't able to do those in prep because of my own decisions. So I kind of knew that those things wouldn't go as well. Um, the Flintstone press, I chose to go in front of my head, not behind, because I didn't have a safe setup to go behind. So I worked really hard to get my push press as high as I could. But I knew where my weaknesses lied, and I could have tried to work on them, but I chose to accept them instead. Understood. Understood. Work on the factors. Spend the energy on the factors you you can control. One thing I'm curious about, I've talked to a number of professional strongman and strongman athletes, and a lot of them, this is their full-time gig. I think even over the pandemic, a lot of folks in your echelon of, of athlete, they move from maybe having a job on the side, maybe working in strength and conditioning, being a gym owner, and now they're just training and competing full-time. You're still very much doing that balance, and you're you're a month a month out from kind of getting settled into your new routine and your new office. What do your weeks look like now balancing training and then what you're doing in your day job? Well, I have I have three things going on at the moment. So I have my strong my strongman career. I have my online business, which is coaching, apparel, education, all that type of stuff. That business does really well. I just it does well without me needing to talk about it. So I don't talk about it as much. And then I have the the clinic, so you know, I I most days I'm I'm up around six thirty. I find I'm not productive if I get up earlier than that. I've tried in Australia for about eight months. I got up at quarter after four, and it just completely wore me out. It just wasn't a practical thing to do. So normally I'll get up at six thirty. I'll have the quickest breakfast I can, which is usually a carton of egg whites, uh, a couple of granola bar type things, then glass of milk and you know, a couple of cookies or something like that. Uh, I'll come into the office. I'll do an hour or so's worth of work on the online business. I'll see a couple of clients. I'll do some networking with different allied health professionals, doctors, all of that, getting the word out about what we're doing. Around lunchtime is when I traditionally go to the gym. So I'll go to the gym, train for a couple hours, come back, do whatever administrative work I have to do. Maybe see a couple of clients in the evening. Um, what I've been doing the past little while, I don't have a laptop at the moment. So I have a, a Mac computer here, one of the big bulky old ones. I've literally been carrying that from the office back home. And then I'll have dinner with my fiance. I'll do some online programming when I get back home. And, you know, I, I just, I'm not the type of person who can have downtime. I just have this innate ability, not ability. Uh, it's a curse, really. Innate feeling that if I have a spare hour, I need to do something new. So even after World's Strongest Man, I had the online business going well. I had the the clinic and I went, well, let's do clothing. Let's get some clothing out there. <laughs> and you know, I have good people that I've hired around me that help me a lot. And it's a bit of a funny relationship developing where I say, like, let's do this, this, and this. And they're sort of like, well, let's relax. Let's just <laughs> take things in stride. So yeah, I I do my best to make it work. It'll probably come to a head and I probably have to keep hiring people smarter than me. But the the benefit of that is when you're starting at a very low bar, it's easy to find smarter people. <laughs> hey, hey, as we were talking about before this, I know something, a little something about that, my yeah. friend. Um, <laughs> yeah. I do have to say one thing. If there's anyone in the world who is equipped to lug a heavy Mac from the office back home and back again, it's you. It's 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 definitely it's definitely you. So maybe that's a training strategy. Let's talk a little bit about your clinical practice. Are are is there a specific 
demographic of, of patient or client that you're particularly passionate about working with? I'm particularly passionate about working with people who are invested in their long-term health, whoever that turns out to be, right? So sometimes that'll be a young athlete and their perspective is they want to be the best performance possible. And their parents will come to me and say, I just want them confident in the gym so that they can exercise forever. Awesome. They're, they're doing it for their long-term health. They don't even know. Oftentimes I'll get people who are in their forties, fifties, and sixties who have had their first significant adverse health event. And they realize that they got to take care of themselves. And unfortunately, a lot of people that I see are people who are past the point of full function and they are trying to get it back. And it's really a huge challenge. And oftentimes it's, you know, you can sort of maintain their capabilities, but you can't, you can't turn someone into Benjamin Button. So yeah, my, my real goal, my real passion, my real ambition is to have that group of people we have now who are 60, 70, 80, 90, who are not capable of their activities of daily living and catch those people when they're 30, 40, and 50 and say, women before menopause, you have to start doing things like resistance training or you're, you're going to go uh, into muscle wasting, sarcopenia, and you're not going to be able to live your life. You're going to be in a nursing home. Your hip fracture risk will go through the roof. I could talk about this stuff all day, but that's, that's really what I'm passionate about. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment, but first a quick shout out to our episode sponsor, Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is the daily all-in-one supplement with vitamins, minerals, probiotics, adaptogens, and more to help your body perform at the highest level. It mixes easily, tastes delicious, and is a personal favorite way for me to start the day. Visit athleticgreens.com forward slash barbend today to check it out. Now let's get back to the show. As your clinical practice influenced how you approach your, your training at all? Sort of yes, sort of no. It's approached my, it's impacted my mentality where there's a certain element that you have to accept that we're not training to be healthy. And sometimes I think people lose sight of that mm. where everything that we can do is shifting risk profiles. And if we were training not to be injured, you wouldn't make very good progress mm. in, in our world at our stage. So once you come to terms with that, once you accept that, you start to train in a different way. And when people ask if I'm worried about rupturing a bicep or rupturing a pec, I answer not at all because that would be like worried about getting up in the morning. Like it's, I just assume that that's going to happen. And when it happens, you deal with it and move on. That's a, a very level-headed approach to this. Have you dealt with any significant injuries over the course of your strongman career thus far? Luckily, not in my strongman career, but just before when I was doing a bit of powerlifting, mm. my worst one, I was at the gym, I was doing a deadlift and the technique was monumentally horrendous. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I felt a pop in my back. I had felt something like that before. So I put the weight down and it's funny in retrospect, I think it was something around the 550 pound mark, which now would be a set of 20. And <laughs> I... After I put it down, I go and I lean on some boxes that were stacked up, some pads. And I'm sort of doing that thing where every time you exhale, you let out a big moan. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was standing there moaning for about 10 minutes. Someone asked me if I need help. And no, no, I'm okay. Eventually, I go from the boxes to the floor lying down. And if you've had a back injury, you know, once you're lying down, you're not getting back up. And the ambulance had to come to the gym and the paramedics had to lift me onto the stretcher. I went off to the hospital and the 
unbelievably uh, thorough Canadian healthcare system that gave me enough Oxycontin until I couldn't feel it anymore. And then gave me a bunch to go home with and said, feel better. <laughs> so I never had a diagnosis. I never had a scan. I never had anything. Uh, I was just told to go home. So I, I stole a walker from the hospital. I used that for about four or five days. Then I was able to sort of walk on my own. Two to three weeks later, I was able to start hip hinging again, deadlifting probably four weeks later or so, deadlifting about 315, and then just steady progression. There's really no setbacks from that one. That was one of the major ones. I had another very similar event in Australia that I was able, because I, I had a little bit more knowledge at this stage, I was able to work through that faster. And I was back deadlifting in about a week's time. And uh, that's sort of the extent of the significant things I've dealt with. Actually, no, not true. First powerlifting comp. This is a funny one. First powerlifting comp. I was walking on the beach uh, with my fiance. And when I get nervous for comps, it, it doesn't really look like when other people get nervous. And I wasn't nervous at Worlds for whatever reason, but I'll just sort of get quiet. I'll get a little bit irritable, but I'll still have a sort of outwardly exuberant demeanor. And so I was chatting to my fiance and she didn't really know how I got nervous at this time. So she started aggravating me and I don't even think she knows why. And we were walking on rocks by the beach and it was very, very um, rainy the day before. So the sand was very hard, right? And we're walking on rocks and she was sort of irritating me. And I think at one stage I looked over to her and I tripped off of a rock. I fell down maybe five, six feet. I was completely fine, but I was embarrassed and frustrated. And so I punched the sand and I, I broke my fifth metacarpal, the, the classic boxer's fracture. <laughs> and this is about two weeks, or sorry, two hours before the first lift for, uh, for my state championship powerlifting. <laughs> my, hand, my hand was swelled up like a balloon. And I'm like, well, we're here. I might as well give it a crack. <laughs> how, did you, how, did you, how did you manage that? I mean, it was, it was fine, actually. Um, I, squatting was really tough. Benching was really tough, but the numbers were okay. Deadlifting was surprisingly fine, and I ended up winning the state title, um, which is less of an accomplishment than it sounds like. That this competition isn't that stiff there, but it was certainly a a mental victory for the day. A, a uh, we'll call it an, an emotional loss and a mental win. <laughs> you've you've you were kind enough to share some of your professional goals and and the kind of people that you really want to help as your career progresses. Let's talk about goals in the sport of strongman. Look, I've interviewed a lot of World's Strongest Man competitors. Every one of them has said their goal is to win World's Strongest Man. I assume that is a goal of yours. You're a very analytical person. So I want to hear about, from your perspective, like I said, I assume that, but I want to hear it from you. What are your goals in the sport? I don't really have outcome-based goals. I don't have the goal of winning World's Strongest Man. I don't have the goal of you know, I don't really have the goal of breaking the deadlift world record. It's certainly something that I aim to do and I want to. So I suppose it's a goal in that way, but it's very much secondary to my primary goal, which is that professional goal. And it's, it's hard for people to wrap their head around that this is just what I happen to be doing at the moment. And it's something that I love. I have so much fun doing. I think the, the community aspect of strongman and the mental health aspect of strongman is so important. And from a local level and, and people getting involved, I'm, I'm in huge, huge support. But for me, if I won World's Strongest Man four or five times and I didn't do something with that, 
I didn't do something with that platform, I, I wouldn't be happy with myself. And when I speak to guys and, and I spoke to them at uh, World's Strongest Man, I didn't confront them, confront them with this, but in my head, when someone tells me their goal is to win World's Strongest Man as many times as they can, and my first question in my head goes to, and then what? Okay, you win the NBA championship. That was your goal. And then what do you have to live for? So I, I don't feel like it's, it's a smart thing to have that as something that is hugely, hugely important to you because we don't control when our bicep ruptures. We don't control when our pec ruptures. And what I want to accomplish in the sport of strongman is to grow a platform, to, to spread a message um, for a couple of things. One, because people, everyone knows someone or will become someone who is sedentary and in that population that I want to impact. Two, I want to dissociate the idea that big, strong guys with tattoos are screaming and aggressive and slapping each other and all of these, what I would consider undesirable type things, because I think that deters some people from going to the gym. For example, my mom would be very, very off-put going to a commercial gym if she saw someone slamming a weight or screaming or whatever it is. So obviously, if you're moving big weight, you can't help but slam it. And I, I wouldn't bat an eye at that. But I think it's important, the image that you present of yourself. So for example, I make a huge effort when I'm competing to be smiling, to be happy in every picture, to be smiling as, as much as I can, to be waving at everyone, to enjoy my time there. And that's, that's a conscious effort as much as it is a, a genuine emotion. And it's, it's for that reason. Where is the best place for people? You, you talk about building a platform and I think you're, you're well on your way. Where's the best place for people to, or the best places for people to follow along with you, not only your work in strongman and your competition life in strongman, but also, you know, your professional life, fulfilling your other goals, helping these populations, helping people live more active, healthier lives. Well, it, the best place is on Instagram, just my personal Instagram, Mitchell Hooper. And I very much dissociate my goal of building a platform and my communication of my primary objective because preaching to people about exercising when these are people who don't want to exercise is not something that's interesting. So I do my best to put out interesting content and then you know I'll sprinkle in a little something here and there. But I think people listen to me enough that if I speak about it on podcasts, I don't need to jam it down your throat. I try to do entertaining stuff and, and all that. So yes, definitely Mitchell Hooper on Instagram is the best place to find Mitchell, I really appreciate you taking the time today. It's awesome to get to know you. I know our editorial team's been doing some work with you. So I, it was a real treat for me to get a little taste of your personality and to get to know you a bit better. And I think our listeners are really going to enjoy it. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much.